Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. If you had to rank them, who do you think would be the top three most boring presidents in history? Well, this presidency is only a week and a half old, so let's (laughs) give it some time. Is Fillmore in there? I don't know. It's like (laughs) Chester A. Arthur. I mean, he came in after a pretty bad assassination, but I guess he made it less exciting. So yeah, I'll go with those two. How about that? Let's see if we can toss Biden in over the next few years. (laughs) Okay, sure. We'll We'll see what Biden can do, I suppose. Well, you did it. You survived the last four years, and your reward? A shiny new old president. Now President Biden is has had a week. How was it? Is President Biden making the news boring again? Normal. I know everyone's excited that there's normalcy. You want to drive a storyline, and in this case, the storyline they're driving is one of boring competence. And I don't think that's a bad one. In fact, it worked quite well for him during the campaign. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, White House editor Sam Stein on President Biden's highly choreographed and kind of boring first full week in office. Well, what I was struck by is just how plain it is. Uh, Good afternoon and happy Thursday. Before we get into questions, um, and I promise ample time for questions today, I wanted to share just a few updates with you. Um, every day there's a new theme. First today, President Biden signed two executive actions that will begin to restore and strengthen Americans' access to quality, affordable health care. A policy uh, pursuit or um, something like that. President Biden is continuing to follow through on his key promise to take swift and bold action that addresses the climate crisis. And they structure the day around a few actions, executive actions or executive orders that they want to do that are in that theme. As you know, uh, just a few moments ago, uh, the president uh, also released a national COVID-19 strategy and signed 10 executive orders and other directives to move quickly to contain the crisis. Uh, And then at some point in the day, they properly unveil them. Today I'm about to sign two executive orders and basically the best way to describe them to undo the damage Trump has done. Whether it's with Biden doing some sort of event, uh, a formal press release, uh, or, you know, occasionally uh, some aide or advisor going to the briefing room and, and explaining them in detail. The stakes on climate change just simply couldn't be any higher than they are right now. And President Biden is deeply committed, totally seized by this issue, as you can tell by this executive order and and by the other Uh, the initiative of getting back into Paris immediately. That's why he rejoined the Paris Agreement so quickly. And that's basically sort of a traditional White House operation. We're just not accustomed to it because we've been We've been on hyperdrive for four years, uh, dealing with the most uh, id-driven, oftentimes compulsively uh, social media-addicted president Ever. And so it's not like we're, you know, we almost need to detox as a press because the speed with which we were having to deal with news from Donald Trump was unlike anything that we've ever experienced before. Would you say Biden is being boring on purpose? As opposed to whether it comes naturally? <laughs> Yes. Okay. Uh, It might be a mix of both. I'm not totally sure, but I think a lot of it is strategic. Mm hmm. Everything you just laid out about how the administration is operating and and has been over the past week, following the same structure, having these themes, 
I mean, it does seem sort of choreographed, right? Yeah. Like, what exactly is the strategy behind it all? Well, I think part of it is just, you know, they genuinely do believe that these executive orders are big deals and that they deserve to be showcased individually or in the groups that they're in. I mean, theoretically, Joe Biden could have signed every single executive order within a couple hours, but they want to debut these things, both because they think they're important, but also because they want to signal to constituencies within their party and political operation that they are valuing uh, their work and, and rewarding them. So I think that makes sense. And I think from a meta standpoint, you know, you have to fill a day, you know, <laughs> you can't just, th- th- there is a vacuum and you have to fill it. Um, now sometimes the day gets away from you and sometimes you have to be reactive to the news cycle, but at least early in the administration, you know, the attention is on you and it's, if you're smart and savvy about it from a communication standpoint, you want to drive a storyline. And in this case, the storyline they're driving is one of boring competence. And I don't think that's a bad one. In fact, it worked quite well for him during the campaign. As someone who is actively writing the narrative about this presidency or, or editing it, how savvy would you say they're being here? Like, are they controlling the narrative? Well, I think it's just incredibly premature to make any such proclamation. I think ultimately they're going to be judged not by how people like me frame the news or direct the news to be framed or written. They'll be judged by the results that they produce. And so in this case, you know, they have the benefit of not having to haggle over the results. I mean, these are executive actions done unilaterally that they can point to and say, look, we delivered. Today's action fills another campaign promise. With this EO, no one will be separated or discharged from the military or denied reenlistment on the basis of gender identity. And for those transgender service members who were discharged or separated because of their gender identity, their cases will be re-examined. It becomes a little bit more tough when you have to work with Congress. The White House is getting some pushback against President Biden's $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief bill. Moderate Republicans say it may be too soon to act after Congress passed a bill last month. Uh, and in that case, you know, that's how they're going to be judged. So, yeah, I, I think the, the verdict is not yet known on that. Seeing some of the coverage over the past couple weeks with Biden taking office, I've seen, you know, magazine profiles like Joe and Jill Biden's love story or like Kamala Harris and Doug Emhoff's running mates for life, which, you know, in a way feel kind of celebratory and a little bit puffy, right? Yeah. Do you think the media is in a sort of honeymoon phase with the Biden administration right now? And do you think that's going to change? Do you want to take away that little bit qualifier? They're very puffy, (laughs) quite puffy. (laughs) But, you know, I think it will change. But I also think part of it, I mean, if we're being honest about it, part of it is we're adjusting to a new administration. There's a, a need for news, but there hasn't been all that much produced in terms of news content. I know that sounds crazy because there's so much happening. But, you know, from the perspective of the administration and covering it in a silo, you know, they every day is a couple executive orders. And, you know, when you have that type of new, the combination of just something new to cover and, you know, a fairly limited amount of 
actions being put out every day, then, you know, reporters will go looking for different types of pieces. And, you know, some of them are feel-good pieces, and there's nothing wrong with feel-good pieces. There's really not. I mean, people deserve to read, you know, stuff like that, as well as hypercritical stuff. Uh, you should have a well-rounded media diet. Um, but of course, that's going to change as we get further along, and the scriptedness becomes a lot more complicated and both reporters and the administration are having to deal with real world events. What do you think will be like the top area of criticism once that sort of honeymoon phase wears off? Like, where do you think Biden is already or, or will drop the ball? I may know the answer to that, but I would never reveal it on a podcast. I will assign <laughs> that. I will assign it to a reporter to report out. Come on, you got to give me something here. What, what, what are you going to be tracking? You know, obviously you want to see whether their legislative priorities are achieved. You want to see if their concept of unity, and I think it's their concept of unity, not some distorted concept of unity, is in fact practiced. I personally, because I've come up through this type of reporting background, I want to see just how strongly they stick to their ethics pledges. On this January day, my whole soul is in this bringing America together, uniting our people, uniting our nation. And I ask every American to join me in this cause. You know, if you hold yourself out as bringing a sense of morality and good governance back to, you know, national politics, you should be held to your standards. So that's where I'm going to be focusing. And then, of course, you know, just how he performs on the world stage, and domestically, too, in contrast to his predecessors, not just Donald Trump, but Barack Obama, too. I think there's going to be a lot of interesting storylines uh, that look at his relationship with the left, not just the right, uh, and whether he uh, has changed as a strategic thinker and a politician from his time in the Senate and his time as vice president. Sam Stein. Thanks so much for talking with me. Thanks for having me. Also today, Congressman Jim Jordan says he will not run for Senate next year. Jordan would have likely been considered a frontrunner in the GOP primary to replace retiring Senator Rob Portman. But in a statement on Thursday, a spokesperson for his campaign said he would stay in the House rather than launch a Senate bid. His decision, first reported by the Cleveland Plain Dealer, could have major implications for the race because as a prominent Trump ally with big exposure on conservative channels, he could have kept other conservatives out of the race. Republicans are favored to keep the seat, but a crowded and potentially messy primary gives Democrats an opening they would not have had if Portman were running for a third term. And the drug maker Novavax says data from a trial in the United Kingdom shows that its coronavirus vaccine is more than 89% effective. But the company also says a small trial shows that it is far less effective against the new variant discovered in South Africa. The mixed results come just as the U.S. confirms its first cases of the South Africa variant, which Moderna and Pfizer also say their shots appear to be less effective against. Novavax was awarded $1.6 billion by the Trump administration to develop and test the vaccine, begin large-scale manufacturing, and reserve 100 million doses. It's currently enrolling participants in its U.S. clinical trial. 
The Politico Dispatch team includes senior producer Jenny Ament and executive producer Irene Noguchi. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.